0: Hey, good morning. Happy uh, New Year, I guess, early a little bit, um, to you all. Uh, and hopefully you all had a very Merry Christmas. Uh, report from the Lau House on our Christmas uh, stunk, because, um, no, seriously, we, um, all our, cr- our Christmas plans got cancelled, because uh, Theo had what we like to affectionately call uh, tod- toddler leprosy, which is uh, more commonly known as hand-foot-mouth disease. So that sucked. Uh, If you don't know what hand, foot, mouth disease, it's like these sores that appear mostly on your hands, feet, and in your mouth, on your mouth, all over your mouth. Uh, So he was uh, having a tough time. Uh, You know, he's hungry, he can't eat, so on and so forth. Uh, It was a mess. It's very contagious to other kids as well, so you have to cast out your toddler into the wilderness for a week. And No, I'm kidding. We we held on to him. Don't call CPS or CAS or whatever. Um, Anyway... It, rem- it reminded me how, much, um, how important traditions and rhythms and, and all those things were, especially in the, in the house as we were dealing with this grumpy toddler. Uh, normally with uh, Theo, we are quite regimented with his daily routine. As I'm sure you are, you all have these different routines, right? You get up at a certain time, you eat at a certain time, you go to work, you go to school, you go to whatever you go to at a certain time, so on and so forth. You go to bed at a certain time so that you can wake up the next morning at a specific time, whatever it is. It works better for you if you adhere to that rhythm. In the same way, toddlers really, really need that rhythm, but when they can't eat properly and they can't sleep properly and their parents are tired of uh, catering to their needs and just put screen time on for like two hours because he won't stop crying. Uh, Those rhythms get absolutely destroyed and you don't set yourself up for success for the next day. Well, in our spiritual lives, we also need rhythms. We need habits, we need practices that help us set ourselves up for success in the future. We often think of our kind of uh, spiritual journey in these big moments, if you will, right? That moment that I made a commitment to follow Christ, that moment that I got baptized, or these big mile marker moments. Remember that time where with this big thing happened. We got in this car accident and God saved us, or we were really sick. somebody was really sick and God miraculously healed them. There's these big milestone markers that mark our faith. And amen, love those moments, love how, what God is doing and how God molds us through those moments. But have you ever considered that equally important are the little decisions that we make that set us up for those big moments? You ever ask yourself in a moment, uh, a critical moment, like, for example, what job should I take? Or where should I send my child to school? Where should I go to school? Which classes should I take? Which of these items should I invest in, spend my money on, or how should I spend my time, for example? All of these kinds of questions, and then you go to God and you pray, and then you, you, you seek counsel, maybe even, or you, you take time to fast, right? And then it feels like God says nothing. That's because we didn't take the time to do the little things, to set ourselves up for success in the big moments. So, uh, there's a quote from Richard Foster that should appear on the screen behind me because I don't re- remember it. Perfect. There it is. Richard Foster says, A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground. He plants the seed. He waters the plants and the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way the way it is with spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. By by themselves the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to to the place where something can be done. But the thing is if we don't actually sow the seed and prepare the ground for the grain, There won't be actually grain, right? Like I said, in those big moments when we expect there to be grain, if we didn't do the work to plant that grain, then why are you surprised that, oh, I'm not hearing from God. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, did we actually sow the seed? Did we actually cultivate uh, before we came to that big moment? Here at Springvale, uh, Richard Foster there mentions Christian discipline, so on and so forth. Here at Springvale, we actually have uh, put these into six large buckets for you, if I could get that next slide. Six large buckets for you. Uh, And they are prayer, word, worship, mission, community. Oh boy, Uh, hmm. Uh, they're on the sides, not the most visible, but prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. I want you to say them with me because we are going to say them a lot and they are so critical that you remember them. In fact, you know, most Sundays you go out of here humming the last line of whatever song Ashley just sang. Well, I want to beat Ashley this time. I want you to be repeating this, like these six words to yourself over and over that they'll be still stuck in your head on Wednesday and you will be so mad at me that they are stuck in your head on Wednesday. We're going to say them together. Prayer, word... Worship, mission, community, generosity. Again, prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. Last time, prayer, word, worship, mission, community, Generosity. If you are seeing this for the very first time, these six words, prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. If you are seeing these six words for the very first time as Christian habits, that is our fault. We've had these for a very long time. These are the six things that we hope that you engage in in your Christian discipleship journey. In order that you might cultivate the ground to the Holy Spirit, we uh, expect, really, that you are involved in these six areas. And we derive these six things from Acts 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. I'll read it for you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, if you are paying attention and following along there closely, verses 42 through 47, I'm sure you noticed six Christian habits. What were they? Prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. We're going to break these down though a little bit. Fortunately, also, uh, we don't have to do uh, a complete job of breaking them down today uh, because we actually have a whole class uh, talking about uh, Christian habits. Uh, we just offered it in the fall, and if we you want to take that one again, I believe it's winter of 2025. Dustin, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you can email Dustin Borland or Dustin at Springville.org for any questions. Or you can take starting point that talks about these six habits again, prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. So how do we see it? in these couple passages here. First, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Number one, the early church started in the word. Quote up there. Word uh, here at Springville. Come on, quote. Do it. Yes. Word. uh, We we say the word is the Bible which reveals God and his purposes to us. This is what Springvale kind of, it's the boiler for uh, the the spiritual habit uh, of the word. Next slide, if you will, please. D.L. Moody says, uh, I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the Bible. In fact, I'm going to have a lot of these quotes that are going to be like, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. In fact, I, it, was like, it was really tough for me to put some of these quotes up there because I was like, ooh, that's me too, ouch. And I put it in there anyway because, well, we got to be obedient to the word. So uh, D.L. Moody says, I, w- I never saw a useful Christian who was not a student of the word. Thomas Aquinas says, we cannot love... What we do not know. And that is so critically important. We say, friends, that we love God. Do we not? How can we love someone whom we do not know? And where is it that we get to know who God is, but in His Word? The Bible. The word of God is God's primary and special way of revealing who he is and what his character is to us. In it, he reveals how he is, how he acts, what his promises are, and how you can trust in him. Yes, I know that when it comes to you making a decision on what class to make, which car to buy, where to send your your children to school or daycare, what friends you should make, it doesn't say. And Ralph, you shall become an electrical engineer. Oh, thank you, God. That's not what it says. Of course, but in the Bible... It, we, we understand who God is and how he acts and how he wants us to act. And so then we can develop our worldview. We can develop uh, a proper um, uh, understanding of how God wants us to behave in the world. And so then from that framework, we can make decisions on our life, right? But all of it doesn't happen if we don't have the right worldview, And the Bible is the place where we get that worldview. The Bible also functions as a mirror, right? As we read the stories in the Bible, we don't go, oh, silly Israelites, how foolish of you. You should have known better. Or, you know, we read maybe uh, of the tax collectors or the Pharisees, of the Saddu- Sadducees. We're not supposed to sit here and go, "Well, that's not me. I'm better than that." No, as you're reading these stories, you're intended to go, "That's me. That's me. As you see the Israelites cowering in fear from, from Goliath, that's me. As you see Cain and Abel and Cain murdering his brother out of jealous rage, that's me. As you see David and Bathsheba, David, David struggling with lust over Bathsheba, that's me. That's me. You're intended to see the Bible and have it illuminate who you are. It doesn't just illuminate who God is. It also illuminates who we are and how much we need him. Amen? So, how do we engage in the word? Again, if I were to spend, like, if we're not going to be able to go into a deep dive on all six of these things. If I were to spend uh, adequate time, really, uh, talking about all six of these habits, we would be here till, you know, I don't know, Tuesday. Uh, because, I, well, I guess you guys have stat holiday, right? You're good for, you're good. For, yeah. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but how do we get engaged in these habits uh, here at Springville? So first, the word is both to be engaged with individually, right? You're supposed to do individual devotions, right? We want you to be reading the word on your own. We want you to be interpreting the word on your own. I I really don't want you to be just coming here on a Sunday morning. This is the only time you get into the word. I tell you what it says. And then you go, well, Lester said, right? No, even like the passage I'm preaching on today, go home and be like, I don't know if that was right. Read it for yourself. Question me. I'm no—I'm just the guy. Like, why? Why should you trust me? Read it for yourself individually, but also corporately. We are to engage with the word together. It's—it's not just an individual practice. Right. So we engage with that right here, right now, preaching. But we also engage with that in things like Springvale Institute, right? Where we're teaching you, where we're studying the Bible together as a community. Where else do we do that? Life groups. Uh, Shameless self plug. If you aren't involved in a life group, you should be involved in a life group so that you can study the word with brothers and sisters together. We are supposed to engage in the word both Individually, devotionally, and corporately as a group together. Notice that's the same thing that they do there in uh, in Acts 42. They, devote, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching together. Next habit you see, uh, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. So, uh, a few years ago, if you're in Christian habits, I'm sorry I told this, this story already, but I mean... Most of you weren't in Christian habits, so you haven't heard this story, but a few years ago I had the opportunity of going down to San Francisco, which um, uh, is home to the Redwood National Monument Forest, whatever it is. that forest with those massive sequoia trees, they're like hundreds, like hundreds of feet tall, I think 200 feet tall, these pine trees. And the incredible thing about these really, really tall redwood trees is that actually their roots. Uh, you would think that a tree that's like hundreds of feet tall, their roots are like hundreds of feet, feet deep. They are not. The roots are actually only 6 to 12 feet deep, closer to the sixth side. And the way that these trees support themselves is that their roots are all intermingled. Meaning that only redwoods support other Redwoods, And this is an interesting and beautiful metaphor for how God has created us. God has created us not to be these single silo trees standing out in the middle of the forest, but rather to be in community, in groves, where we support one another, where our roots grow together. I have a quote up there for you. Um, quote, please. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, sin demands to have a man by itself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more attractive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous his isolation. Think about this for a moment. What pulls us out of community? Shame. We think to ourselves, oh, They're not gonna like me, so I'm not going to engage. If I reveal who I authentically am and the things that I struggle with to these people, they're going to do what? They're going to judge me, And I'm going to feel ashamed. So I'm not going to plug in to authentic community. In fact, or even if I do plug into authentic community, I'm going to present a a shell of who I am. Or who I think they want to see um, as who I am. Going on from there, the more I hide from uh, holding myself or having people hold me accountable, the more I engage with sin. The more I engage with sin, the deeper my sin, the more my shame, the more my guilt, the more I uh, am uh, enraptured and, and tied up in guilt, the less I want to engage with the community of believers. That's how sin works. However, that is not God's design. And it goes back to the Trinity. As I'm walking my, uh, watching my toddler walk in uh, there, How cute. Don't don't sit next to him. He has leprosy. Uh, Anyway, uh, anyway, um, God's original design is that we are to be his reflection. And what is God? God is intimate community. God is three in one, father, son, Holy Spirit, right? It is incredible that God has existed this way in community for all eternity, and He intends for us to do the same, for us to live in community that reflects the community that He is. Community means belonging and participating in God's family. It's not enough to come consistently, sit here on a Sunday morning, and just watch a service. That's not what we mean by community. What we mean by community is engaging with life groups. It means uh, you engage with things like women's ministry. It means that in the foyer, you talk to people that are outside of your family or outside of your regular clique, outside of your uh, people that you normally talk to. You go up to somebody you haven't, who you haven't met, who every time you see them on a Sunday morning in the foyer, you just go, hey, hey, nice to see you, or that guy, hey, that guy, or big dog, big dog, that guy, you can't remember, go up to them, introduce yourself. I know there's the initial awkwardness of uh, we've seen each other and said hi for four years, and uh, I don't know your name. Get over it. It's 30 seconds. It's all right. It's going to be okay. And then we can have real community, Okay, but community is critical to the life of the church and it's critical to the life of the believer. I think I have one more quote up there for you and I will move on because uh, we are super tight on time. Yes. Last one and really importantly here, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. And this is so critically important. All of us, not all of us, most of us kind of go around to church and we have this idea of church where like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to find people like me and I'm going to kind of plug in and I'm going to find my fit, right? Might I posit to you that the church is intended to be a mosaic of people that are not Like you. The whole point is that the family of believers is diverse, that it's a mosaic. This is a picture of what the, the heaven, the eternity will be like. So get used to it. It's not going to be a whole lot of people that talk, walk, act, eat like you. It's going to be a whole different bunch of people that you really don't have a ton in common with other than the most important thing that we are loved and saved by God and we love him wholly. Right? So let's get over that like, oh, I I don't know that I can find my fit here at the church. No, no. Come to church and love the people who are in the church. That's what we're called to do. Moving on from there. Uh, it says, uh, continuing on in verse 42, uh, that they devoted themselves also to the prayers. Prayer, uh, Springville says, is, quote, prayer is a conversation with God. It really cannot be simpler than that. I, I think oftentimes we maybe even overcomplicate what prayer is. Ultimately, if we boil it all the way down, prayer is a conversation with God. It's so easy, a toddler could do it. Now, I'm not saying like we all pray toddler prayers, but it is intend- intended to be and supposed to be that easy. Let's not breeze by that for a minute. That's incredible that it is that easy, a conversation with God, to have access to the infinite, omniscience, um, uh, omnipotent creator of the universe with a simple, hey, Father. That's how easy it is. But that's incredibly how powerful it is that we have access to God through prayer is no small thing. And in fact, for us to have that privilege, it took Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Because of our sin, we were not able to pray. We did not have that direct line of communication to God. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, and when we accept that sacrifice as the payment for our sins. That line of communication is restored. That relationship can be restored, and we can have that direct line of communication, that prayer that we can have um, with God, or that communication that we can have with God. And we do tend to take it for granted. For a moment, I just want to think, uh, want you to think about what are your rhythms of prayer? When do you pray? when do you decide to commute uh, communicate with god is it maybe after everything's done at night in your bed all comfy with the covers pulled up and you start to go dear god well thank you for the day and i our rhythms are, of prayer are critically important if prayer is like our communication line with God, we better treat that privilege with respect, right? So it's important that we have rhythms of prayer that work with our schedule. Start your morning in prayer. Start your morning in prayer. Find a time throughout the day where you are alert. Pray then, not at the end of the day. Don't treat it as something that is a throwaway at mealtimes. I have a quote there for you. Wow. Faith pours out prayer, and the pouring, of, pouring out of prayer obtains the strengthening of faith. This is Augustine uh, of Hippo. Uh, I love this quote, because oftentimes when we go to prayer, we think, okay, uh, I have this problem. I need to take it to God, and he will make this change. But have you ever thought about what's actually happening when you pray? What is principle What is principally happening when you pray? Prayer changes me. I am the one who changes in prayer. Notice what Augustine says. When we have faith, we pray. And as we pray, it strengthens our faith. Prayer is a moment where we go to God and say, God, I need you. I am the one who changes. God, these are my needs, and I am dependent on you in this moment. It's me. I'm the one who changes. Going on from there, how do we engage in prayer? So, first, individually, of course, there's personal prayer, uh, and considering what time you pray, rhythms of your prayer. But also, corporately, it's important that we pray together. Corporately. Notice that in this passage, it's not... Uh, and they broke bread, ate together, had fellowship, and then everybody went off and did their own prayers. No, no, they prayed together. Because as we pray together, the same thing happens. That faith pours out prayer, prayer strengthens our faith. That happens corporately as well. So we have things like all church prayer. We have men's prayer. We have women's prayer. We have prayer in life groups. If you come to youth group, there is prayer. We pray together uh, at Springvale Kids. We pray together all over, the, all over the place. And if you aren't engaged in praying with others, I highly suggest and encourage that you begin to do so. I have 12 minutes left and three habits left. We are going to have to boogie. Next habit. In verse 44, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Generosity is using God's gifts to, to, uh, to love and care for others. Quote for you. It says, Francis, or Francis Chan says, we say to the creator of all this magnitude and majesty, well, I'm not sure you are worth it. You see, I really like my car or my little sin habit or my money, and I'm not sure I want to give them up even if it means to get you. That's what we're saying when we aren't practicing Generosity. Ultimately, friends, where do all of our blessings come from? Are they not coming from God? Think back to the story of Cain and Abel. Remember where Cain, he brings some of the fruit from his harvest, but Abel brings what? He brings the firstborn sheep from his flock as they offer their sacrifices to God. And God says to Cain that he is not pleased with Cain's offering. Why is this so? Well, there's this little detail in the passage that says that Cain brings some of the uh, fruit from his harvest, but Abel brings the firstborn. And this is important, not because God is on a carnivore diet and only likes animals, but because Abel offers what comes first. So Abel has worked all year to have this first baby sheep, And what does he do with that first baby sheep? He offers it to God. What he's doing there is saying to God, I am trusting you. I am depending on you. I am uh, putting my faith in you that you will provide more. Whereas Cain says, here's some, here's some. I'm going to make sure I take care of mine, me and mine, because I'm hungry now. And when there's fruit, I've worked all year for this. And then I'll give you, God, some later. That's not the heart that God's after. God's after your dependency on him. So we talk about uh, 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 generosity with three T's. Time, talent, treasure. Right, first, we are generous with our time and our talents. Meaning that we step up. To serve God. What's the difference between time and talent? So, sometimes we serve God with things that we aren't skilled in. For example, uh, you can serve God with your time by making coffee for us on Sunday mornings. Right? That's not a particular skill or talent. Or uh, you can serve God with your uh, instrument gifts, for example, on Sunday morning. That is a talent. Right? So there are different ways that you can serve God, and it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you, uh, I'm talented in, in this thing, so I must be serving God with my talents. No, you can serve God with your talent, or you can serve God with your time. And finally, of course, you can serve God uh, and you can be generous with your treasure. And this is. Uh, why we do things like offering. This is why we do things like tithing. This is why we do things like the the, the Christmas projects and the big give and um, all of these hosts of other um, uh, uh, giving things that we do is because we want to be generous because God has asked us to be generous and it shows that we are dependent on him. We give first to demonstrate our humility and dependence on God's provision. Moving on from there, uh, I like in the end, it says, uh, verse, f- verses 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. This is critical. Quote, uh, quote there, worship, it, worship is honoring God with our words and action. Quote for you. A.W. Tozer says, God made everything for a purpose and to worship him. That is man's chief end and purpose. Do I have another one? I think I have another one. I don't have another one. Okay, my bad. Uh, I deleted that other one. Anyway, A.W. Toberzer is absolutely 100% correct here. Think, think back to Genesis when God creates, uh, God creates man. He says, What? Let us make man in our image. Why? Why? Because we are intended to be of a reflection to, of who He is we are intended to essentially be a mirror for who God is, right? God has created us to mirror who he is and show his glory throughout the earth. And as we have been tainted and affected by sin, that mirror has rolled up and become less and less of a reflection of who God is. However, because of Christ and how he may, uh, the Spirit makes us more and more like Christ, that mirror then is able to open back up and we are able to then more accurately reflect who God is. Worship is more than just singing songs. Worship is the purpose that we are created for and it is about how we live our lives. In fact, worship is the very purpose of the church. If we have not worship as a church, we are not a church. The purpose of the church is not mission. The purpose of the church is not community. The purpose of the church is not, I don't know, any host of other good things. Yes, they are important things. Yes, we do those things. But it all comes from worship. Worship comes first. And all of the other things that we do, mission, community, prayer, all of those things flow out of our heart of worship. So we do this individually. Remember uh, when uh, Dustin talked about bearing God's name, right? Taking the Lord's name in vain. We do this with the way that we live our life. We do this when we interact with others who don't know who God is. We do this when we talk uh, with our neighbors. We do this when we talk with our friends. We do this as we interact with clients at work and and, and coworkers. We are worshiping. You ever think about that? That when you go to work, when you go to school, that is an act of worship? Does that change the way that you approach those tasks? Does that change the way that you think about how you own your home? How you drive your car? How you line up at at the grocery store? All of that is intended to be part of your worship. Worship always comes first. But we also engage with this corporately. We engage by singing. We engage uh, not just by singing, but by serving together, right? We engage when we give, we engage when we um, pray together. All of these things are part of our worship. And yes, you can be involved in them. Five minutes. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. Uh, Enough time for me to wrap up this last one. So it says in verse 47, And the Lord added to their number day by day day, those who were being saved. Notice that all of these other habits come first. Prayer, word, uh, worship, mission, or no, sorry, community, generosity. And then finally, it's almost as if it's attack on, there's Mission. Because as we are passionate about our worship, it spills over into mission mission, which is our actions and words pointing others towards Jesus Christ. John Piper says, quotes... Therefore, worship is the goal and the fuel of mission. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Mission is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. That's why we go. Because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus. And we want all the families of the earth to be included. How powerful is that? That worship actually is what fuels our desire to see the nations reached. We desire that, that God would be worshipped more holy, so we go and tell the nations about who he is. That's what, that's what missions should be about. That's what should drive our missions. So how do we engage in missions individually? Well, we do this uh, with, with things like My Four, right? which is for people in your life that you are reaching out with uh, or being intentional about in in, um, investing in, uh, inviting, and interceding for. I messed up the order. Sorry, Ed. That's my bad. Uh, Intercede, uh, invest, and invite is the correct order. So we intercede for them, meaning that we pray for them. We invest in their lives and we invite them to things like church, we invite them to life group, we invite them to alpha, we invite them to starting point, we invite them to scavenger hunt, or we invite them to basketball, we invite them to volleyball. We invite them all over the place. Or uh, we also engage in this corporately. We have a missions board. We have um, community care. We have sports again that you can actually uh, be at because there are tons of people here uh, on our Monday and Tuesday night basketball and volleyball programs that that do not come here. And it would be wonderful if you came and you were uh, you developed relationships with them that you interceded for them that you invested in their lives and you invited them to something more than volleyball and basketball. You invited them into relationship with Jesus Christ. There are hundreds of opportunities for you to be involved in mission, both individually and corporately. So these habits are again six of them. Prayer. Could I get them back up? Is it, are they, is that slide fixed? Please. It's nope, that's okay. It's all right. Uh, no, 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 leave it back up there. It's fine. Because we're going to repeat this like 40 bajillion times uh, so that everybody hates me. Um, we're going to pre- repeat these one more time. Six habits, prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. We engage in the Christian habits by engaging in prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. One last time, because it needs to get stuck in your head till Wednesday, prayer, word, worship, mission, community, generosity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the year that has gone by, the blessings, Lord, that you have given us the lessons, Lord, that you have taught us. Father, as we look forward to this next year, we ask, Lord, that you would continue the work that you have already begun in us. Lord, we are depending on you for all that we need this coming year. So we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen.